thousand generations of Jedi Knights and the Guardians of Peace, Justice, Welcome back to People's History of the Old Republic. Last time, we interviewed author Alex J. Kane about his book, Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, which chronicles the triumphs and a few pratfalls that went into the making of Bioware's classic 2003 RPG. Now, in episode 12, we enter the Restoration period, talk about a Knights of the Old Republic prequel comic, and maybe finally really finish out Tales of the Jedi. I'm Luke, that's Kelsey, and there's always a bit of truth in legends. And uh, real quick before we move on, um, even though we've listed it in the show's description, uh, we realize that not everyone reads those, and so we wanted to take a minute to, t- to thank friend of the show at uh, RuK3 on Twitter, who designed the uh, awesome and beautiful cover and profile art for the podcast. Not, not the awful memes. Those are, are my handiwork. Um, but the, uh, you know, the, the design that says Fotor, it, it looks great. Uh, it has the old Republic insignia on it. Uh, she did a really wonderful job with it. Uh, please check out her work. And if, if you're interested, it's at R-O-O-K-A-Y-3 on Twitter, and thank you again from us, Rue. All right. So we have some we have some Star Wars news to, to touch upon first on, on Tuesday, May 9th. May... That was the 7th. On Tuesday, May 7th, Disney confirmed release dates for a trio of as-yet-unnamed Star Wars films. Um, the first will be released on December 16, uh, 2022, the second on December 2024, and the third on December 18, 2026. Now, we have almost no information about the seeming trilogy, um, and the films may not even be part of a trilogy, but we're not going to let that detail um, stop us from, you know, responsibly speculating. So here's what we know. There's a three-year break following the Rise of Skywalker's release on uh, December 20th, 2019. That's coming up. Um, That's not that surprising. Um, After Disney CEO Bob Iger said that Star Wars would be going on a hiatus following the end of the Skywalker saga. Um, Additionally, in late April, Collider's Adam Chipwood reported that Kathleen Kennedy seemingly corroborated the rumors that uh, The Last Jedi writer-director Rian Johnson and Game of Thrones showrunners David Benioff and D.B. Weiss are working together on the same series of films, not separate ones. So these three films, or at least some of them, would presumably be part of that series. And finally, if you'll recall Kathleen Kennedy's comments following the Star Wars celebration, Disney is at least looking at producing canon Old Republic content. So... Nothing confirmed at all, but a lot of circumstantial evidence, and we are as excited as you to find out more about the shape and direction this new trilogy takes. Yes, very excited, despite the fact that I sound sarcastic at all times. Very excited. All right, now, the galaxy after the Great Sith War. The Restoration Period, which, according to the Republic, lasted from 3995 to 3965 BBY, that's before the Battle of Yavin, 
The Restoration period began immediately following the Great Sith War and is the second of five historical eras between 4000 and 3951 BBY. Following the war, the Jedi and Republic led vast efforts to restore the overall Republic to its former glory, which caused territorial expansion for its borders and new heights of prosperity for member worlds and many known parts of the galaxy. Of course, the Jedi and the Republic also ignored the Mandalorians, who began waging a war of conquest in the Outer Rim in 3976 for more than 10 years. The Republic only became truly invested when the Mandalorian Wars started to affect corporate interest on member worlds bordering the Outer Rim in 3965. So who's to say how much restoration was truly accomplished? The period spans 30 years, mostly covering the background events of the Mandalorian Wars in the Outer Rim. The two stories do take place, one covering the Great Hunt and in the conclusion of Tales of the Jedi. So some background on the Great Hunt. During the Great Sith War, the Sith also attacked with Sispon, monstrosities created by twirling beasts using dark side alchemy. The Sith Worm that Exar Kun slew on Yavin 4 is but one example. However, the most effective and terrifying of these monsters were the Tarantadec, large creatures that resembled rancors with poisonous claws and fangs and fed on the blood of force sensitives. The Jedi believed they originated as rancors, but the chains left them only about one quarter the size of a full-grown bull rancor, though they were much deadlier. Exarkun unleashed them at Jedi outposts during the Great Sith War, and they destroyed many of those locations and killed the Jedi within. In 3995 uh, BBY, as part of their rebuilding efforts, the Jedi undertook the Great Hunt to seek out and destroy all Sispan, though it was mostly hunting the Tarantadec. The Great Hunt ended in the year 3993, and while it was mostly successful, a few survived to multiply in later years. Star Wars Tales 23, Shadows and Light, written by Joshua Ortega, 2005, so one issue comic. So, uh, meta here, uh, appearing in the penultimate issue of the long running Star Wars Tales comic series, Shadows and Light is a Knights of the Old Republic video game prequel comic that takes place during the Great Hunt. Uh, the comic depicts the backstory of three characters who can be found dead and their journals read in the game. Knightsville Republic. While it is dubbed a prequel comic and does tell some backstory, it is only really a tiny portion and completely incidental to the main story of the game. Uh, the player doesn't need to encounter these long dead Jedi, and uh, they're, they're interesting tidbits of, of lore scattered in the game. Though the Tech are later retconned to have appeared long before this time. The creature was created for the Knights uh, video game by Bioware, with its history being filled in through other media, as we see here. Uh, additionally, though Shadows and Light is the first chronological entry in the Knights of the Old Republic meta series, which is a real phrase, I promise, we will save the discussion of that series until we get to the Knights of the Old Republic comic. So the characters we will see in uh, Shadows and Light are uh, Duran Keldroma, the cousin of Ulic and Kay, 
He was morally upstanding and always thought to uphold the Jedi Code. He's one of the three Jedi sent to finish off the last of the Tarantatek. He and Shayla fall in love, a point of contention amongst the trio. Shayla Nur is a human Jedi Knight, lover of Duran, and former apprentice to Master Odan Ur. Her lightsaber contains an extremely rare and powerful Solari lightsaber crystal that can only be used by one peer in the light side of the Force. And there's Gunhan Suresh, a Twi'lek uh, Jedi Knight, and the third wheel of this trio. Gun believes that Shayla and Duran's relationship is leading them to fall to the dark side, and uses a Force-imbued uh, sword instead of a lightsaber. Odin-Ur, the old Nedi, reappears via flashback as Shayla's master. There's Vruk Lamar, the earliest appearance by the human Jedi Master who will play a larger role in Knights of the Old Republic and Knights of the Old Republic 2. He sits on both the Coruscant and Dantooine Jedi Councils at this time. There's the Dantooine Jedi Enclave Council, Council, a satellite council made up of four members that oversaw the training facility Master Voto started on Dantooine. In addition to Master Vruk, we see two more human masters, Bala Nissi and Aleka Stusia, as well as a Cellcath master, Qual. The locations, um, we'll be revisiting uh, Dantooine, Ossus, and Corban, and we'll get some new locations. Uh, Kashik, this is their first visit to the Wookiee homeworld in the show. Um, they're the first outside the canon chronology is, uh, and probably just outside of canon is, of course, the uh, Life Day celebrations we saw in the Star Wars Holiday Special. Um, and then we'll get to see Tatooine, too, where the first nice. time ever showed in Star Wars. Only people here. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm, I'm not even kidding. That's great. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, also, uh, while, we're, while we're speaking of Life Day, uh, RIP Peter Mayhew. Y- yes, seriously. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> memory be far better than that uh, artifact of the seventies. Yeah. What well, I mean, he, one of the he he, he portrayed one, or played one of the uh, you know the most memorable uh, characters um, in in Star Wars and and I mean in my opinion in in cinema I I love Chewbacca he's one of my favorites. Um, his uh his death in in legends has always uh rubbed me the wrong way um but we can talk about that <clears throat> later um <laughs> the uh the, the timeline here is uh 3993 bby uh that's 3 years after uh the great sith war ended and uh the story Duran Keldroma, Shayla Nur Gunhan Suresh and two other Jedi fight a number of Tarentatek on Tatooine. Uh, one unnamed Jedi dies, but Duran is able to enter the other beast's mind through the Force and confuse it, allowing Gunhan to rescue Kale, a badly in- injured Jedi, and Shayla to eliminate the last beast, finally cleansing the planet. The trio return to Dantooine a week later, Meeting with the Jan- the Jedi, the Dantooine Jedi Enclave Council. There we go. This is our first look at the council uh, in the podcast here. Uh, 
Though the Great Hunt was officially ended two days before their arrival, one planet still must be cleansed in secret. The Jedi Council in Coruscant wants this mission to be undertaken quietly, and this trio is the best bunch of hunters they have. So it's a classic story, really. Just when they thought they were out, they get pulled back in. Duran and Chalice share a sunset together before departing, and they confess their love for one another. Shayla misses her master, Odin Ur, and fondly remembers the time he gave her the precious Solari crystal, which can only be activated by someone pure in the light side of the Force. Elsewhere on Dantooine, Gun Han believes they will succeed in their quest to rid Korban of the Tarrant attack, though he fears that Duran and Chela are falling in love, which he views as a grievous violation of the Jedi Code. The Jedi Council, including Master Frook, is conflicted about this plan and their orders from Coruscant. Frook and another master are greatly troubled by sending three knights to Korriban alone, especially um, after, especially a Keldroma. Um, you know, last time a Keldroma was sent off, it didn't end the best um, for them. So the other masters note that Ulik was the only member of his family to fall, and that Jedi don't believe in original sin, to uh, paraphrase the, the Jedi language. The Council eventually agree that they must follow the orders of Coruscant, and we see that the consolidation of the order is already taking effect three years after the end of the war, with Coruscant having the sort of uh, supremacy over local and more regional Jedi bodies. Later, Duran, Shela, and Gunhan land at one of the few cities on Korriban, Dreshde. They immediately begin working leads on Tarentatech sightings by following their Jedi training to the letter, or not. After a week, Duran and Shayla agree to run spice for smugglers, while Gunhan hears rumors of a sighting on Kashyyyk and seduces a Sith apprentice, stealing her access card while she sleeps. That's right, these Jedi fuck. Duran is having his doubts about the operation, however. While talking with Shayla, he says he's troubled by the trio's actions and believes they are all falling to the dark side. Duran then has a force vision of events he doesn't understand but are recognizable from Knights of the Old Republic. Bastalashan being tortured, Wookiees being enslaved, and Darth Malak. These visions have been increasing because Duran forms a connection, a connection to the Tarentatex and sees their minds when he uses the force to confuse them. Shayla then kisses Duran, comforting him. Just then, Gunhan walks in, proclaims he is disgusted by Duran and Shayla's actions. Gunhan accuses them of falling away from the light and says he cannot trust them to forego their passion and attachment. Shayla counters that he's a hypocrite because he was sleeping with a Sith acolyte for information. The two continue to argue before Duran finally interrupts. He's tired of their fighting and knows the three must work together to defeat the Terran attack. But Gunhan won't budge. He wants the couple to deny their love for one another, something they see as opposed to the Jedi Code as well. In the end, the Twi'lek departs Korriban but gives them a key to enter the Valley of the Dark Lords. It's interesting. I just realized that uh, that the conversation that uh, Shayla and Gunhan have is um, really mirrored in uh, Master and the book Master and Apprentice, which was uh, recently released by Claudia Gray. 
recently released um, and written by Claudia Gray. Um, and it's about uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and one of their missions. And um, Qui-Gon has a conversation with another Jedi who uh, is new to the book mm-hmm. or new, new to the canon uh, in this book. And they have much the same conversation, you know, one saying it's, uh, you know, it was just, you know, sex, it, it didn't mean anything. And the other saying the Jedi code tells us to love, so it's okay. And, you know, I'm not going to spoil anything. And that's not a big spoiler anyway, that they have that conversation. And I, I don't know if she, she meant to mirror this, or Cla- if Claudia Gray meant to mirror this, but that's interesting because I just thought about that. You can see what I do in my free time. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of the more interesting quirks of the Jedi and how they're presented um, especially since the entire prequel trilogy is, in a way, about um, the Order failing to uh, accommodate or understand the the baser, not even baser, like love isn't a particularly base need, but the mm-hmm. needs of, of humans, or of, of not humans, of beings um, towards one another. And so to see it um, as an echo thing is like a fundamental tension to how the Jedi have been structured. Um, Neat. It's yeah, also right. interesting to see that we get the quirks of like it's okay to it's okay to fuck but not love, um, which is a much different <laughs> interpretation of those rules that I had seen before. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, and and if you know, if you you really want to get uh, get down to it, um, I, I think if I remember correctly, that was uh, George Lucas's own interpretation of it too um after the prequel trilogy was released he uh discussed in a few interviews how the way um he he meant to portray it and or the way he he thought he portrayed it and the way he wanted to was that they weren't celibate they could have you know meaning you know quote-unquote meaningless sex but they were forbidden to take spouses um, because of, you know, what what how Anakin's fall was presented in uh, Revenge of the Sith. And um, but I mean, I don't think a lot of people took it that way. I, I certainly didn't like until I read that article many years later, I thought that he literally intended him to be like a celibate priest class, you know, mirroring the, you know, uh, the, the priest, some, some priesthoods that we have here on, you know, earthly religions. Seriously. I mean, that's, that's how I took it. And I think that's how most people took it, but you know, that's, that's background. And, and if, if I'm mismer, if I'm misremembering, please, you know, let me know, but I, th- I think that's right. No, no. And I think it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tension obviously that, that uh, predates and postdates, Jedi, it's just a fun way to to see it expressed mm-hmm. and explored. Yeah, exactly. Um, Gunhan follows rumors follows the rumors he heard of a Tarrant attack to the Shadowlands on Kashyyyk. Deep below the tops of the forest of Ro- Rosher trees on the ground where the light rarely touches. Gunhan heads down and attracts the beast using the same method that Revan later does in Knights of the Old Republic using a dead animal tied to a string as bait. See, the Tarentatech prefer Force-sensitive, and that's what really sustains them, but they'll eat other things if they have to. Before the attack, Gunhan 
thinks of his friends who he believes have fallen to the dark side and he wishes he could have saved them. Once the beast enters, Gunhan springs his trap, jumping down and stabbing the beast in the neck, but the force-imbued blade broke when he tried to remove it. Gunhan then died in the Shadowlands of Kashyyyk, like so many other Jedi who had attempted to kill this Tarentatech. Back on Korriban, Duran and Shayla are hunting for the Tarentatech in the Valley of the Dark Lords when they feel their old comrade's death through the Force. Shayla is angry at Gunhan for being so arrogant, but Duran says they are both to blame, and then the beast appears. Shayla slashes the Tarentatech across the gut, but Duran cannot enter the creature's mind through the Force, and then is distracted when Shayla is knocked to the ground. Duran attempts to run to her side, only to be grabbed and crushed by one of the beast's claws. Sheila rushes to Duran's side, and as he dies, he has another vision through the Force, and this time we both understand. He sees his own death, then Revan taking the Keldroma cloak, the Rakata, a star map, and finally Malak's defeat at the hands of Revan. Knowing he will die, Duran tells Sheila to leave him there for Revan to find. She does so because she does so because he asks, and the Force works strangely, despite not knowing who that is or even understanding why she should leave him. His final words are declaring his love for Shayla, which she yet requited. Enraged, the human Jedi pursued her fo- her injured foe, traveling into the tomb of Naga Sadal. Uh, since it's the Valley of the Dark Lords, they build a tomb for the Dark Lord, even if they don't reside there. I guess it's a tomb and it's absentia or something. Uh, Shayla declares the light and dark do not matter and that only vengeance can pay for the loss of her love. As she tracks the beast down, she asks Master Ood to forgive her for falling so far and then remembers his words to her. Just then, Shayla remembers it was too late and that she had failed. The injured beast had led her back to another Tarentatech that also guarded Sadao's tomb. In her rage, Shayla did not retreat but went for the kill. As she did, her lightsaber deactivated and she remembered Ood's words. The Solari crystal would not work if its user strayed from the light. She died there and would be found by Revan many years later. And just remember, the Solari crystal only deactivated when Shayla gave in to her rage and anger, not when she and Duran fell in love. Just say it. Uh, canon alert 14. Tarentatex were made canon in a season six episode of the Clone Wars and have refused and have received a few scant mentions since then. Little has been confirmed other than they are that they are large bipedal predators with claws and tusks and have been known to live on Kashik. Hey, now we move on to uh, Tales of the Jedi Redemption, written by Kevin J. Anderson in 1998 in a five issue comic series. This is the final arc of Tales of the Jedi, the series, a sprawling epic that tells the history of two disastrous galaxy-spanning wars, began in 1993 and concluded five years later. The Great Sith War, which lasted from 4000 to 3996 BBY, was told over five arcs, beginning with Ulic Caldroma and the Beast Wars of Onderon and ending with the Great Sith War. Next, there was the Great Hyperspace War, which lasted maybe a couple of days and occurred in 5000 BBY, which was told between two prequel arcs, the Golden Age of the Sith and the Fall of the Sith Empire. 
You can check out episodes three and four to hear us recount those stories. Finally, the series jumps forward to redemption in 3886 BBY to resolve the loose ends still hanging around from the Sith War. Writer Kevin J. Anderson would later say he considers redemption to be the most emotionally intense piece of Star Wars fiction he ever created, a sentiment shared by the returning artist Christian Gossett. Gossett was adamant that redemption focused on a small set of core characters and their relationships, avoiding the circus that he and the writers believed happened with Dark Lords. The pair mapped out the story arc together, deciding to go in a different direction from the original tale's writer, Tom Veitch, and this was conclusion to Ula Keldroma's arc. Veitch later said he did not intend to redeem Ulic or even include Exar Kun in the tale series at all, stating that he preferred his ending. Of course, we also know that Veitch was the one who initially suggested adding Exar Kun to tales after bringing on Anderson, who was Exar Kun's creator, as well as a co-writer for Dark Lords of the Sith. Anderson initially created Exar Kun for the new Jedi Order series. Uh, Veitch also walked away from the series and LucasArts under less than ideal circumstances, so that experience may color his comments some. Characters. Ulit Keldroma. Since being blinded by the light. Yes, it's it's that joke. Uh, Ulik has wandered the galaxy in shame, looking for a place to live out his days in exile. He is a war criminal, but was pardoned for his crimes for helping the Jedi find Exar Kun, and was already punished by Nomi, what the what most of the Jedi consider enough. Uh, whether through self-mutilation or other means, the Sith brand placed on Ulik's forehead by Marco Ragnos is gone, uh, replaced by a long scar. Nomi Sunrider, now the Grand Master of the Jedi Order, and she has taken on her daughter as an apprentice. Nomi is respected as one of the greatest Jedi living, who has helped steer the Order through many ordeals since the end of the Great Sith War. Vima Sunrider, Nomi's daughter, who is 14 at the time of redemption. She's frustrated and feels that her mother focuses more on leading the Order than training her own daughter. Precocious and rebellious, she wants her mother's attention and approval more than anything. Silvar. Having grown bitter in the years since the war, Silvar wishes that Ulic was put to death for his crimes as well. She blames everyone but Kratos for Kratos' fall to the dark side. Tot Danita. The stalwart Jedi spends the series mediating conflicts between everyone. Vima and Nomi, warring Twi'leks, uh, the weather... Silvar and Ulic, Silvar in the past, uh, you know, you get the idea. Uh, he's just an all-around great Jedi. Thon, he's still Thon, just, just Thon. Uh, and then the only new character we have uh, is Hagen, an extremely short human spacer who works as a pilot. He's fascinate, fascinated with the Jedi Order and its history, including the fallen Jedi Exar Kun and Ulic. All right, the locations we are returning to Yavin 4, and new to this story is Ryloth. It's our first visit to the Twilight home world situated in the Outer Rim. Exus Station, which is an occupied station in the Aral Sector in the Outer Rim. The Jedi use it to store many of the materials they saved from Asus until they were permanently moved to Coruscant. Exus was also used by uh, miners working out with the nearby sun. Kathar, it's the first appearance in Legends and her first visit to the Kathar homeworld, and Renvar, which was created for this comic. This planet is largely covered in ice and is said to be leaving an ice age. 
buried dwellings and Jedi artifacts attest to the fact that it was once inhabited. The timeline again is a uh, 3,886 BBY, 10 years after the Great Sith War. And in order to find a place to live out his days in exile and quiet, Ulik Kaldrama has hired the pilot Hogan to fly him to various planets and gauge his interest in them. Why Ulik needs a pilot and what happened to his ship from the Sith War epilogue case dream is anyone's guess. Hagen doesn't know the identity of his customer and is also using the trip to sightsee, taking in the sights of the Battle of Yavin on Yavin 4, that Ulik is haunted by memories of the destruction he caused. Plus, it's not even an open concept and he has nowhere to entertain. So, Intergalactic House Hunters continues. After much searching, they land on Renvar, a world entirely covered in ice with no other life to speak of. The world works as a compromise. Ulik can spend his days mired in depression in Hagan, with a lifelong infatuation with the Jedi and their history, can visit Exus Station to attend the great Jedi Conclave that has been called there. Elsewhere on Ryloth, Tot Danita assists a defeated and exiled clan find shelter as the world's harsh weather has produced a heat storm so powerful it will kill any Twi'lek caught in its path, including a Jedi. Ryloth has incredibly erratic weather due to both its strange axial tilt and day-night rotation cycle. Uh, they've been retconned a couple of times. It's really complicated. Don't worry about it. Uh, the erratic weather produced intense heat storms which killed anything in their path. Tot attempts to shepherd the clan to safety within a canyon, uh, though it lacks sufficient hiding places and some have already been caught and killed by the heat. However, the Twilight Jedi realizes he must protect the entire group and he focuses deeply on the Force, using it to successfully push back against the heat storm, at least initially. But one Jedi, even the good boy Tot, cannot stop planetary weather patterns and the heat overcomes him, though his efforts save most of the exiled clan. After the storm passes, the clan finds Tot buried in the sand, injured but alive. The right side of his face has been badly scorched by the heat, but he states that he cannot recuperate as he must leave for the conclave at Exus Station immediately. Nomi Sunrider has called the conclave at Exus Station to discuss successfully rebuilding the Order and its future. As we will see, there is no talk of a great hunt or consolidation on Coruscant yet, because that wasn't written until uh, Knights of the Old Republic came along. It's a grand reunion for many as old friends catch up. Vima is happy to see Thon. Thon is happy to see Vima. Silvar is happy to see no one. Even Thon acknowledges her bitterness and resentment, but is happy to see her. They enter the main chamber, where Nomi begins her speech about the time of healing of both the Jedi and the Republic. Vima is unimpressed, thinking that Nomi has been lax in training her, spending too much time overseeing the Order. Vima's probably right, as we will find out later. After more speeches, Vima has had enough and goes to do something impulsive to get her, her mother's attention. Or she's just suicidal. Either way, she steals an ion mining vessel and goes to prove that she can do it too. The ion mining ships fly in formation that creates an ion web, allowing them to get close to a star and harvest plasma from its solar flares. 
so normal, non-hazardous work. Vima flies in, gets the entire crew crossed up, and gets too close to, to the solar flare, frying her equipment. She has no choice but to jettison her escape pod and is soon caught in the star's gravity. Nomi, Thon, and Savar all feel Vima's danger through the force and beg the mining crew for help, but the leader declines because he doesn't want to die or risk his crew. Vima thinks her death is imminent, but at the last moment, her escape pod is rescued by Tot Doniva, Donita, arriving scarred and late, but just in time to save Vima's life with a tow cable. Vima and Nomi reunite on the station with hugs, but Vima is still angry with her mom for not training her enough as a Jedi. The Conclave has been going for days when Hagen arrives from Renvar. The pilot has always been fascinated with the Jedi and wants to see them in person. As he looks on, Silvar delivers an impassioned speech about the need to find and kill Ulit Kaldroma. Her ends seem reasonable, as war crimes do deserve punishment, but Silvar is clearly doing this for selfish reasons, thinking only of her dead lover, Kratos, not the galaxy or the Jedi Code. As the Conclave ends, Vima looks at the two holograms that Nomi always keeps, one of Vima's father and husband, Ander Sunrider, and another of Ulik. Vima thinks her mother may resent Ulik more for leaving their family than for what he actually did during the war. Vima then excitedly asks Nomi to start more training, but is cut off because Nomi is exhausted from the proceedings. Vima, thinking that her mother cares more about the Order than her Jedi training, sets off to allow the Force to guide her to a new master. This is the most successful Jedi conclave we will see, and it involved the near death of a teenager. Tot. Meanwhile, is determined to rescue Silvar from her dark path and invites her to Ryloth. She wishes to embrace her inner storm for, for the strength it provides, but Tot says she must shield herself and shield herself from it and ride it out, like the heat storms on Ryloth. As they arrive, we find out the Exile clan is actually Tot's own clan, and that they have made a home in the caves and cavern walls. But all is not well because their in ancient enemy, Clan Rilyek, I guess, uh, attacked recently, massacring them in the night. Tot says he will meet with the clan leaders to resolve this problem and ask Silvar to help his people in his stead. He meant help them build or rebuild. Silvar's idea of help, however, is to tell the people to take up their pickaxes, stop building shelters, and retaliate in battle, which she will lead as a Jedi Knight. Tot returns to find his people stirred into a frenzy, even though he had already resolved the situation peacefully. We now find that both clans have traded such massacres for generations, with neither having clean hands in the matter. Tot, however, has convinced each clan's elderly leader to go into the Brightlands, which is suicide since there's no shade or water, as a sign of their respect and of burying the past. The two clans will then choose a new leader to to join the clans and end the cycle of violence for good. Savar sees this as cowardice as compared to death in battle and requests to return to Cathar. On the ice planet that isn't Hoth, Ulik does an 80s training montage of lightsaber moves, trying to use it as a focus to feel the force again. He cannot feel it. And also he falls into a cavern below due to some loose ice and snow. Trapped and freezing to death, Ulik remembers his life and his failures, his betrayal of Nomi's love and murdering his own brother, Kay. He remembers Master Arca and thinks how he failed his father figure completely. 
Ulick knows he's going to die in Nightmare. He's accepted the death the moment he landed on Red Var. But finally, after more than a decade, the force ghost of Master Arca appears to him, telling Ulick to live and rely on his inner strength, if not the force. Ulick climbs free and makes his way back to his shelter. After a short time, Nomi notices her hologram of Ulick is missing and so is her daughter. Thon searched the whole station and couldn't find her. Turns out, Vima stowed away aboard Hagen's ship, sensing he knew something about Ulick through the Force. Hagen finds her and is about to space her out an airlock when she produces the hologram of Ulick, and the pilot is shocked that he had a former Jedi on his ship the whole time. Hagen takes her to Renvar and gives her a transmitter in case she gets lost. Vima vows not to leave the planet until she becomes a Jedi Knight. Vima sought out Ulick because she thought the stories couldn't be so bad. She finds him an old man waiting to die and filled with regret. He says he can't teach her because he can't feel the Force and he throws her out in a blizzard. It's a Renvar blizzard so it could last weeks. Vima loses her way, can't sense anything through the Force, and her transmitter is busted. Uh, before Ulick realizes, he threw a teenage girl out in a blizzard and rescues her. But now they're both lost, and he's about to take them the wrong way, but then she senses shelter in the Force and they make camp. In the shelter, Vima levels with Ulick, who had already guessed Nomi didn't know her whereabouts. Ulick asks why she would possibly want his help. He's hurt too many people and done too much bad, plus he can no longer feel the Force. But Vima says, just because he's just because he's Ulick, implying he's forgotten more than most Jedi ever learn. Tot continues his unlicensed therapy sessions with Savar on her homeworld of Cathar. Her people idolize her and already write great epics for her, but it feels meaningless to Savar without a life mate, without children. That's that's what they said. I'm not uh, editorializing. She sees a Cathar sage who counsels her that the anger she feels is misguided, and she believes this means she must go on a blood hunt to slay the Kiltic creatures that terrorize her people. Tot is honored to accompany her, and they find the Kiltic hive and queen after a long run. The two Jedi proceed to kill every creature in the cave. Though Tot stops early and implores Silvar to cease after he sees she's still hacking at dead bodies a while later. Tot leaves her to work out her own demons because Savar is not freeing herself from anger but giving into it and close to the dark side. Savar continues the hunt but finds no vindication in her kills. Later, a Cathar tracker finds her with a note from Vima asking her to return to Existation and help find the missing Vima. Back at Existation, Nomi receives a scrambled message from Vima who says she will be trained as a Jedi and that Ulick will do it. Nomi is furious with Vima, but mostly herself. Meanwhile, Hagen has pieced the situation together from his Jedi fandom and headed back to the station after leaving Renvar to tell Nomi. Nomi ignores him because, well, because he sounds like a crackpot. Nomi doesn't believe Ulick would ever hurt Vima, and he believes and believes he would be a good teacher about the cost of becoming a Jedi. Silver arrives and Nomi tells her that Vima is safe and with Ulick and Silver flies into a rage, claiming Nomi is soft before storming off. Hagen, ever the Jedi fan, remembered seeing Silver rail against Ulick and found her with the news of Ulick's whereabouts. She agreed not to kill him if he took her to Ulick. Nomi later realizes 
she probably shouldn't leave her daughter alone with a war criminal, regardless of how she feels, and also that she has failed her daughter both as a Jedi teacher, but more so as a mother. Distraught, she leaves Exus Station bound to find Bima before Ulika can harm her. To, ever, to everyone's surprise, Ulik has spent the time well teaching Vima all he can about the Force. She is dedicated, stubborn, and exceptionally strong in the Force, much like her mother. Unlike Nomi, however, Vima is not hesitant to build her first lightsaber, using some of the Adegan crystals her father, Ander, had died for, died to protect so long ago. The two spar, and Ulik is still quite capable, despite not feeling the Force. After this, he claims he can no longer train Vima because he's blind to the Force, like a painter who can't paint after he goes blind. Vima suggests he take up sculpting. Sorry, Vima suggests he take up sculpting instead. So they literally do that. Master and apprentice carve images to honor Master Arca and Ander, respectively. Vima carved Ander because she had seen his face in her mother's holograms and felt the force move her to do so. Ulik carved Arca because Ulik needed closure for his numerous unresolved issues with Arca's death that still haunted him every day of his life. Uh, while admiring their work, Vima says that Ulik proved he still had the heart of a Jedi because he trained her as well as any master could hope. Keldroma fervently wished he could believe that. Everyone is converging on Renvar as Ulik is dueling Vima again. The young Sunrider is getting a little brash and sparring, even a little overconfident in her abilities. Vima is purposefully annoying Ulik as teens are wont to do, and uses her lightsaber to cut off a necklace he was wearing. Ulik becomes frustrated both in his ability to use the Force and at the student's prodding. Vima begins to taunt Ulik because he's worried she will turn out like him. Ulik is furious Vima mocks him further, joking that she might get too close to the dark side, start another galactic war, and commit a bunch of war crimes. You know, teen taunts. She then hit Ulik Keldroma, noted war criminal and man who once killed his own brother in anger, in the face with a snowball and gives him a knowing smirk. Vima Sunrider, Irony Twitter member. She then says she taught him a lesson and he can do nothing but smile because, yeah, that's, you know, pretty on point. Vima confesses that she believes she's ready to become a Jedi. The two then have a talk about the costs of becoming a Jedi Knight, which means different things to every individual, as we all must face our own tests. Vima asks what it takes to become a master, but Ulik doesn't really know, saying it likely has to do with facing many arduous tests bigger than any single being can bear, because there is no set rule or guide. As they return, Vima senses that her mother is near. Nomi is landing and cursing herself for failing her daughter and talking herself into giving Ulik time to teach her. At the same time, Hagen and Silver land, and she goes in search of Ulik to finally free herself from her pain. Nomi and Ulik meet for the first time in presumably a decade. Ulik explains that he did not ask Vima to come and that she is free to go. Vima, to her credit, fesses up to the whole ordeal. She says it was her terrible idea in the first place that Ulik saved her, that Ulik didn't want to teach her but ended up bringing out her great Jedi potential, and then shows off the lightsaber Ulik helped her build. Vima then asks her mother for a chance to prove that Ulik is a good teacher and stay with him. Nomi and Vima go to the ice sculptures of Ander and Arca, and Nomi is stunned both by her daughter's work and Ulik's change. 
Ulick, alone with his thoughts, looks back on his life and realizes that he had done a few good things, even if they can never truly atone for the for the bad, and finally makes peace with himself. Just in time for Silvar to show up. The Cathar Jedi passes her own judgment, declaring that Ulick must die for his crimes, and then engages him with her lightsaber. Ulick tells Silvar that Kratos' death was of his own making. She must accept his fall to the dark side and her part in it. Ulick is still a master swordsman, despite lacking the force, and parries Savar's vicious attacks. Nomi and Vima notice the struggle as Ulick tells Savar she must let go of her hate and revenge. On a high precipice, Savar backs the war criminal Keldroma to the edge, with Hagen watching from afar, waiting for Ulick to die. But the former Dark Lord tells Savar he won't fight her anymore, reminding her that Kratos made, Kredo made and paid for his own decisions and that she was not his judge. Ulick deactivated his lightsaber, waiting for Savar to strike down to strike him down, but the blow never came. Savar realized that Tot, Nomi, Thon, Vima, the Cathar Shaman, and even Ulick were all right, and that she had to let go of her hatred and anger over Kratos' death. She both cursed and thanked Keldroma before retreating, leaving him alive. That is until the spacer Hagen, seeing his chance at immortality, shot Ulick in the back, mortally wounding him. Again, no one in Redemption truly wants Ulick brought to justice for his crimes. Silvar wanted vengeance for Kratos' death and knowing all those other things. Prior to her duel with Ulick on Renvar, Silvar still had not accepted that Kratos willingly followed Exarchon in the first place and was a complicit party to many of those war crimes and attempted to assassinate Master Thon, Nomi, a literal child, and Silvar herself. Hagen, meanwhile, proclaims he killed the worst living war criminal, but then readies to tell the story in bars, and it's clear he largely did it to gain notoriety. Back on Nautoth, Silvar nearly kills Hagen in rage, but remembers the lesson she learned from dueling Ulick and backs away. Hagen fled, wondering why Silvar suddenly cared for Ulick's well-being, more confused by the Jedi than ever. Nomi and Vima rush to Ulick's side as he curses the time he wasted away from the Sunrider women. Ulick begs Nomi for forgiveness, but she had already given it. He then gave Vima a necklace he wore as a keepsake and proclaimed her a Jedi. As he died in Nomi's arms, he vanished, becoming one with the Force. Through tears, Nomi and Vima were stunned, thinking only a Jedi Master could achieve such a feat, and that he had been blinded to the Force. But Vima, who had helped him see the light again, realized he had the heart of a Jedi and had been redeemed through the Force for the acts he had done. Your mileage on the redemption and subsequent becoming one with the force of Ulick Keldroma may vary. With redemption, Tales of the Jedi finally comes to an end after a five-year run comprised of eight separate arcs across 35 issues that span some 1,014 years of in-universe time. These were the first stories and legends to introduce the Old Republic era as we now know it, and they serve as the springboard for so many of the classic stories to come. As a side note, uh, Tales of the Jedi were the first stories to really get me interested in the expanded universe and, of course, the Old Republic. I've always wanted to talk about them in this kind of depth, and uh, I really appreciate everyone listening, and especially Kelsey for putting up with me, stretching them out for so long. Uh, seriously, thank you. I'm really happy we uh, we even got this far. Um, yeah, thank, thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to A People's History of the Old Republic. Next time, we will start the Knights of the Old Republic comics and see how far we get. 
Please rate, comment, and subscribe to People's History of the Old Republic on Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for the five-star ratings on iTunes. Ratings and comments help the show, and we really appreciate them. Follow us on Twitter at FotorPod or email us at FotorPodcast at gmail.com. Send us questions and comments, and we will answer them on the show. I'm at AthertonKD on Twitter. And I'm at LucasAmazing on Twitter. Thank you again, and may the Force be with you.